Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 20, and we are recording on Wednesday, February 28th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hello, Rincey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited for it to be March. I'm. This is the one time where I'm just like, I'm ready for a new month. It's not so much shocking to me. Although I will say like part of my job is I have to like schedule posts in WordPress. And I kept trying to type in February 29th for some reason. Like I was legitimately could not remember that that was not a thing this year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why February. I mean, this probably doesn't sound like too original of a of a statement, but February for being the, the shortest month is the longest. Yeah. And I, yeah, every year I just realize I'm like, God, I hate February. Um, but I was watching the, I, I did follow the Olympics. So that made February actually quite bearable. And now I'm going through my ice skating withdrawal. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much you ended up following the Olympics. But yeah, we had it on like every night for the last two and a half weeks. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's just timing or something. I've never, well, not never, but I feel like I don't follow the Winter Olympics as closely as I do the Summer Olympics. I'm like obsessive over the Summer Olympics, but the Winter Olympics, I'll like just catch it here and there or I'll just like watch the highlights online. But like the Summer Olympics, I legitimately like stream it live, like no matter what the time zone difference is, like I will watch certain events live for sure when it comes to Summer Olympics. Yeah, I'm just obsessive about the ice skating. Um and I've I it's not every year that I'm obsessive about it like it goes in waves like in 2010 um I was super obsessive when um Evan Lysacek won the gold medal for men's figure skating um cuz I flip and love Evan Lysacek. Um and then I didn't I don't really remember much from 2014 and then this year I was like I have to watch every figure skating thing ever. And <laughs> so thankfully Blaine enjoys figure skating as well. So we we had it on a lot, a lot. So um I got a good fix, but yeah, I'm 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 hurting for some for some ice skating right now. Who <laughs> <laughs> it's ice skating withdrawals. I like that. <laughs> All right. Um, so for those of you who uh, who may not have listened to us before, like we said at the top of the show, we are um, we talk about mysteries and thrillers and news adaptations and uh, or news items and movie adaptations and and true crime and just you know stuff in general that relates that relates to the world of mysteries and thrillers. Um, and we also, you know, we, each episode, we usually have, you know, a big topic that we talk about, but we also really love hearing input from listeners about uh, stuff that they're interested in or something that they think um, that they would like to hear us talk about if they want more information on. Um, this, actually, this episode, the topic for this episode is, uh, actually did come from a listener suggestion, which we'll, we'll get into later in the show. But if you have any feedback or ideas or suggestions or anything along those lines for us, please let us know. We love hearing, uh, new ideas and we're always looking for something new to talk about or learn about in, when it comes to mysteries. All right. So before we jump into the episode fully, I just want to quickly mention that Book Riot is doing a giveaway. Um, they're giving away $500 of Penguin Clothbound Classics uh, that are designed by Coraline Bickford-Smith. You may have seen these if you follow like 
bookish Instagrams and things like that. They're they're really um, they're colorful and they have like a specific pattern for each book. Um, and so they have all sorts of classic favorites, including like Dickens, George Eliot, Mary Shelley, uh, Tolstoy. Uh, this is open until March 13th. So you still have a little bit of time to enter. You can head to Instagram.com slash Book Riot to enter. Uh, the giveaway post should be sticky at the top of the profile. But if you can't find it, I'm also going to link directly to the specific Instagram post in the show notes. So that way you guys can enter there. I believe all you have to do is follow uh, book riot on instagram and then like comment something but their specific instructions are on the instagram post but definitely go check it out these clothbound uh books are beautiful i have the full jane austen set and i love them like having them on my bookshelf is just like so great so yeah highly recommend checking this out it's you know a lot of classics and it's a great way to sort of fill out your collection with some beautiful books all right. So uh, for this episode, we're a little light on uh, news um, news topics that came up. But one thing that we did see that we wanted to mention is that um, if you were a fan of the show Making, um, Making a Murderer, it is going to be getting a follow-up series. And I don't know... Uh, I, I think they just they just announced that that it's going to be created, um, but it's going to be called "Convicting a Murderer." And whereas the first series talked about the um, talked about the conviction of Stephen Avery and his nephew who were serving uh, who were serving life sentences for uh, 2005 murder of Teresa Halbach. Um, the this new series is going to basically tell the tell the same story but from the prosecutor's point of view um because the the original series raised a lot of doubts about the legal process that was used to convict these men um but the but this kind of like counterpoint series um uh, it's being done by a chicago attorney uh who's pairing up with um who's pairing up with a filmmaker to to produce this show and to look at it from the from the prosecution side and the evidence that they built against these uh, built against these men. So um, so yeah, if you like true crime series or if you were like I said, if you were really into making a murderer and want to know even more about the story, this will definitely be up your alley. It says says it's expected to be completed in fall 2019, but that's far enough away that you know stuff happens. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's going to end up being the actual date or not, but definitely something to keep an eye on. And we'll have a link to the to the news item in the show notes in case you want to read more. Yeah, and then I think they're also doing another season of Making a Murderer too, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, yeah, that so I did I not think, know. Oh yeah, um, hold on. Yeah, it says it oh. here in the article. It's it's like all the way yes, at the end does. of the article. Um, they're making a second season with the original filmmakers, which will be interesting to see too. But I don't think there's any real information about it other than they're working on something. So I don't know. I'm pretty sure that that's all that Netflix has said. All right. Well, there you go. You get you get two for one with this news item. <laughs> all right. So. Um, then the our first official sponsor of the show is Libby. 
um, which is also, uh, we're doing Libby in conjunction with our Read Harder 2018 challenge. And Libby is the one-tap reading app from Overdrive. By downloading Libby to your smartphone, you can access thousands of ebooks and audiobooks from your library for free, anytime, anywhere. You'll find titles in all genres, ranging from bestsellers, classics, nonfiction, comics, and more. It works on Apple and Android devices and is compatible with Kindle, so you're pretty much good to go uh, when you download a book from, from Libby. And all you need is a library card, but you can sample any book in the collection without one. And in select locations, Libby will even get your library card for you instantly. It does not get any easier than that. You can learn more at meet.libbyapp.com. We will have a link to that in the in the show notes as well, and I will put in my own uh, my own testimony for Libby as as a library employee. We um, we use Libby and we help patrons download Libby onto their phones. It's super easy, super intuitive. It's literally you know just a few taps. You get a library card registered to it, and within a few da- a few taps, you're listening to you're listening to audiobooks, you're reading ebooks. Out of all of the ebook apps I have I have used, especially ones that come from libraries, Libby by far is the most intuitive. So definitely give it a uh, check it out. Uh, support your local library, and thank you again to Libby for sponsoring our show. Yeah, I will also give a recommendation that if you haven't tried Libby yet and you've tried other library apps before and thought that they were terrible, this one is definitely not terrible. Um, one of my friends recently like sent me a text and was like, oh my gosh, I just realized that I can download like ebooks and audiobooks through the library. And so I downloaded Overdrive and this is great. And I was like, wait a second, are you using the Overdrive app or the Libby app? And she was like, Overdrive. And I was like, no, download Libby because Libby will change your life then because Overdrive, it's from the same company. Um, but they really like stepped it up with Libby and it's a fantastic app. And so, yes, if you tried Overdrive and hated it, definitely check out Libby. <laughs> All right. Um, so our main topic for this episode is going to be noir mysteries. Uh, like Katie mentioned at the top of the episode, this actually came as a suggestion from Stephanie, who I actually know because of YouTube. She makes YouTube videos, too. Um, so hi, Stephanie. I would give your channel a shout out, except I can't remember your channel name at the moment. I apologize. Um, but she basically just asked us to talk a little bit about noirs. Um, she, I think, believe she mentioned in her uh, tweet to us that she's not really sure exactly like what falls into noir or she doesn't have a lot of experience reading noir and so she just wanted us to talk a little bit about it um I personally could like if you had asked me like what's a noir book I had no real definition of it but I know that I've read noir in the past or I've like at least like noir like movies and style like I know it when I see it but I could not come up with like a definition if you had asked me but luckily Katie's a librarian so she did her research <laughs> yeah my my research consisted of Wikipedia so um, <laughs> But I was just looking for something kind of simple and quick. Um, but it's it's interesting because when I was looking initially for noir or noir literature, um, there's there's actually a distinction between hard-boiled fiction or hard-boiled mysteries and noir fiction. So hard-boiled, which the two are very similar, but hard-boiled is where you have typically your detective or your private investigator who witnesses the violence of organized crime or is dealing with a legal system that has been has become as corrupt as the organized crime itself. So you're seeing lots of, you know, 
police departments with, you know, with scandals and back alley deals and mafia and stuff like that. And it's a very cynical type of story. Um, the detectives of hard-boiled fiction are usually like the anti-heroes. They're caught up in the cycle of violence. They they have their own co- their own moral code, but it's not doesn't necessarily comply with the moral code of the law or of civilized society. Um, But it does tend to be, tend to be dark, bleak, gritty, usually set in some kind of city urban setting. And then the, in noir, um, it, like I said, it's closely related to hard-boiled fiction or hard-boiled mysteries, but the distinction is that the protagonist, the main character, is not a detective. Um, they are either a victim of some crime, they're a suspect, or they're the perpetrator themselves. And typically they are dealing with um, some kind of legal or political system, which again is no less corrupt than the perpetrator. And the protagonist is either victimized by this corrupt system or has to victimize others on a daily basis, again, leading to this kind of this very cynical lose-lose type of situation. Um, And the... And I, the example that always comes to my mind, I'm going to use a film example, one I have not seen, but with a line that everyone knows, Chinatown, at the end of the movie where he says, forget it, it's Chinatown, where it's just kind of this very bleak feeling that no matter, you know, no matter what the outcome is, it kind of doesn't really matter. The violence yeah. is going to continue. Um, so these are these are very bleak and dark and these are not books that you want to that you want to read if you have a pick me up (laughs) yeah it's really interesting like because i feel like everyone sort of has some sort of experience from noir but i feel like everyone sort of visualizes like movies or at least maybe that's just me um visualizes more like movies because that has like a very specific like soundtrack and look and style to it so i feel like everyone kind of has an idea of noir but i don't know if noir books are quite as popular as they used to be yeah, I'm very much the same way. Like, like, like you said earlier, I it was for me, like starting off with this, I was like, well, I know it when I see it. And usually and when I see it, it's usually in the form of a movie. Um, and it's, again, not my not my particular brand. Like I haven't, you know, I don't sit I don't watch a lot of like classic noir films or anything like that. But it does have that very distinct feel to it that you can just kind of automatically visualize it. But yeah, I hadn't really, I mean, there might be a few books that I've read that, that would fall under this category, but it was definitely a, a newer subgenre for me to, to kind of pick my way through. Yeah. So same here. I didn't really have a lot of like book experience with it as well. And it's interesting because both of us tried to read sort of like a classic noir book. And then also both of us have sort of a more contemporary version to uh, talk about. So I can start off talking a little bit about the classic um, that I picked up, but I will admit that I did not finish it. And I think This is more me than the book itself. Um, So I wanted to pick up something classic to try to wrap my head around the genre or get a little bit more experience with it. And so I picked up The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, which is a hard-boiled crime novel uh, because you are following Detective Philip Marlowe. And this is like a really well-known noir series, or it's the beginning of a really well-known noir series. Um, It's considered just like, you know, one of the 
top classics in the noir genre. Um, unfortunately, I didn't finish it um, because I was having a hard time getting into it. And not so much that it's a bad book, but I think at this point, I've experienced like the post-noir style so much that reading, or I was also listening to this on audiobook, it felt almost comical to me because it felt... because we know the stereotypes of noir so well now or at least i feel like i know the stereotypes of noir so well that this almost felt like almost funny like hearing and experiencing this and seeing it fall into all of these specific tropes and stereotypes and now obviously this is one of the really early noir books so when it this book was published it was not like a joke or a stereotype or anything like that it was fresh and new but now because there's been so much time it's been like I don't know, like 80 years or something like that. Um, there have been so many takes and plays on the genre that to me, it felt a little bit stale. And I'm not saying that everyone's going to have that experience. There's a very good chance that you could love these classic noir books. But for me, it's just I had a hard time really connecting with the story because all I could think about was how everything just felt almost as if you're following a formula when it comes to noir. Yeah, I mean, you basically just explain my reaction to the book that I chose. I did not finish it either. Um, I chose The Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett, which introduced uh, the world to Sam Spade, the the classic private investigator, you know, again, one of the one of the most famous examples of hard-boiled noir mysteries. And I got about, oh gosh, I don't even know if I got maybe a quarter of the way in, but you said it exactly. It I had to kind of keep reminding myself that this was not that this was not cliched. This was basically one of the books that created the cliche. But it has, you know, the the trench coat wearing, fedora wearing, uh smoking, constantly drinking, tough as nails, cynical private investigator. He's under suspicion for the death of his partner. And then he comes into uh, he uh, this woman knocks on his on his office door and she asks him to help her find her sister, but then he finds out that she's actually lying. So that's it's the you know the beautiful tricky woman who can't be trusted, and he's always rolling his own cigarettes. And like I kind of started counting the times that uh, the number of times that he started like in the middle of something. Like he just like there was a scene in his office where this guy comes in, pulls a gun on him. Sam Spade knocks him out cold, and then. And then, like, sits back and looks at him and picks his pockets and looks at the stuff he has in his pockets, and he's rolling a cigarette at his desk. (laughs) And it, yeah, it just, it's not, it's not the style for me. And like I said, it's, that's not to discourage anyone from reading it. I know these are, you know, these are classics, and especially... Um, I know for older generations who kind of that was their first some of their first introductions to to mysteries like there's a lot of nostalgia attached attached to these type of books but yeah the, and there, there's too much use of the word sweetheart and I know it's the 1930s or 40s in this book but I'm like okay I'm uh, it's it, it it got a little old for me pretty quickly um, so yeah I that was I, I got that one uh, I actually I actually checked that out on Libby aha an ebook um, but not not one I plan on finishing yeah I actually downloaded mine on Libby as well but mine was the audiobook so <laughs> um, so yeah so the other book 
that I ended up picking up, and I actually really enjoyed this one. It's The Gun um, by Fuminori Nakamura. Now, um, Japanese noir is a huge thing, um, and Fu- Fuminori Nakamura is one of the bigger sort of Japanese noir writers. Um, a handful of his books have been translated into English. This is his the first book that he had ever published, but I think this is like his third or fourth that was eventually translated into English. Like it was translated into English later. Um, but this is my first time picking him up and I really enjoyed this book. It's pretty short um, and it takes place in Tokyo. You are following this man named Nishikawa who is uh, walking the streets at night and he stumbles upon a dead body and next to the body lies a gun. And so Nishikawa becomes really intrigued by the gun and decides to take it and after that point, everything in his life sort of changes. Um, he starts to become really obsessed with the gun. Um, he feels like it brings some sort of purpose to his like sort of dull university life. Um, and there's this just really interesting sort of turn that happens in the character. And you can see him slowly like spiraling out of control a little bit. Um, and obviously like Things happen in the book, which I'm not going to talk about, but it's just really interesting to see sort of how things progress, um, how this gun affects his psyche. Um, it's uh, the book um, on the in the front cover has a blurb where someone compares this to um, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment and Camus' The Stranger. I've never read The Stranger, um, but it did remind me a lot of Crime and Punishment. It also has sort of like that Edgar Allan Poe, Telltale Heart sort of feeling to it as well, where there's this sort of like ticking thing in this character's mind that's constantly distracting him, constantly ticking over his consciousness. And it's just this really interesting sort of psychological look at this character who's being so like deeply impacted by this gun. And obviously like Japanese culture is very different from American culture. They don't have a lot of exposure to guns the way that you do in the United States. And so seeing a gun in real life is sort of like a shocking thing almost. Um, I will say one of the sort of like sad things about the noir genre is that it's very male heavy and a lot of times their books written by males they're written from a male point of view um and so this one is definitely that as well and like the main the one like sort of grimace that i had with this book was the fact the way that he treats women but obviously that's also impacted by the fact that he's being so like strongly influenced by this gun and the way that it's making him think and things like that but he definitely is not a character who treats women well um But yeah, it was a really interesting read and I definitely want to pick up more um, from this author and probably more like Japanese noir in the future. Yeah, um, the the second book that I that I ended up reading, I actually en- ended up really enjoying. I actually um, finished it this afternoon. I was off from work today and kind of finished the last, I don't know, third or maybe close to half of it in kind of a marathon reading session. But I really liked it. Um, it's called Dragonfish by Vu Tran or Tran. Um, the author is Vietnamese, um, but was raised in America. Teaches at a teaches uh, creative writing at a university um but the the so the story really combines america american and vietnamese influences or cultures um and it's really it was a really fascinating story the the story is narrated by robert who's an american cop and uh who who works in oakland 
And he, and when the book opens, he has, uh, he's been divorced from his wife, um, who he, who goes by the American name of Susie and they divorced two years ago. And this, it's been this, you know, this event that's been plaguing him because their marriage was, was unsteady. It was, uh, Susie was a very, she was she was a very complicated person and very closed off about her own history and the things that she dealt with when she uh, when she left Vietnam and went to a refugee camp and ultimately came to America. Um, and in the story, he Robert is visited by by a group of men who um, who work for the man that Susie ends up. Uh, that ends up marrying after she leaves Robert, who is a who's a violent Vietnamese gambler um, who works out of Las Vegas, and he sends these men after Robert um, because he needs Robert Robert's help tracking down tracking down Susie, who has mysteriously disappeared along with a large amount of money that she has taken from him. So Robert has to go through. Um, basically the kind of like the seedy underbelly of these um, casinos and the um, and the strong uh, kind of I don't want to necessarily call it organized crime because it's not that organized but that strong that's that strong kind of criminal underbelly that that um, that has a lot of that uh, attracts a large number of Vietnamese people to it and interspersed with this story are passages from Susie's journal that she kept when she came to America detailing how she had to leave her first husband who was um, who was dying of cancer. She had to leave him behind in Vietnam and bring her and take her daughter on a boat with her to Malaysia. And it's just intersp- so interspersed with these kind of, you know, present day actual story chapters, you get this backstory of who... Susie is as a person and the things that she went through to get her to the to the place where she is today and kind of explain or kind of kinds of sheds a light on her behaviors and her actions that from the outside might seem bizarre and might seem indicative of some kind of mental illness even but are actually very you know, very profound and very sad and very complicated. Um, and I, what I love, and uh, when you, you when you mentioned how uh, noir is a very male heavy genre, um, the author of this book was male, but I thought he did a really fantastic job of uh, portraying all of the female characters in the story with a lot of complexity. Um, there aren't any. There, are, the, every every character is is very nuanced, but especially, but the female characters, especially the character of Susie, are very, they're very complex and they're very, they there's a lot going on there, and I thought he did a really beautiful job handling it. And the most amazing thing is that the book I don't even think reaches three hundred pages. It tells so much story in such a short amount of space. It was just really beautifully written. Um, so it definitely has a lot of those hard-boiled noir elements to it. Um, like, you know, the kind of the criminal underworld and the gambling and the, you know, the, the stealing and then, you know, um, 
just a lot of a lot of those types of elements but it really um i think it it really brings a a really interesting human perspective and a diverse perspective again since the author is vietnamese and brings a lot of um a lot of his background to to the story itself um so i really highly recommend this this book even if you're not a fan of noir or hard-boiled fiction or whatever um i just thought it was a really f- fantastic read and again that was dragonfish by uh by vu tran yeah and then we both have um a little bit of uh sort of like sub mention that we wanted to make um if you are interested in noir and you want things from a female point of view. Megan Abbott has actually written, uh, I think she's written a couple of noir books. The one that I know about for sure is called Queen Pin. Um, and this one follows a young woman who I believe comes from like a small town and ends up moving to like a bigger city, uh, joins a casino and is basically like joins the mob sort of situation. So sort of like we were mentioning before, noir is tends to be very male heavy so if you are not okay with that and you want things or you want things from a female perspective or you just want a different point of view um, Megan Abbott has queen pin and it's very well regarded I was wanted to read it before this episode but I didn't have enough time Um, but it's definitely on my list of ones to check out but it looks like just based on the reviews that I've seen everyone really really enjoys it Um, so you can definitely put that one on your list if you're interested in checking out some slightly different take on the noir genre. Yeah, and then um, my little extra mention, um, we've mentioned um, a book from this publisher of this series before on the show, um, but there, um, there's the Akashic Noir series, um, which are collections of short stories um, or short writing samples um, in the noir tradition, but they, they're from around the world. And they have, I don't, I don't even know how many... Um, anthologies they have, but there's Chicago Noir, there's Boston Noir, there's LA Noir, there's London Noir, Sao Paulo Noir, like almost anywhere that you can, like any major city in the world, they either probably have an anthology created already, or there's one coming out. (laughs) Um, So if you are interested in either getting like little you know, by just like little little bite-sized pieces to kind of give yourself a taste, or if you're looking to really diversify your um, your noir uh, background, um, the this would be a really really um, interesting series to check out. Like I said, there's a ton of them for pretty much any any city, any flavor that you that you could possibly want. That's the um, Akashic. I think I'm pronouncing that right, the Akashic Noir series. And again, we'll have a link. Um, we'll somehow link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll link to like maybe a couple of the different cities in the show notes. So that way, if you guys are interested, definitely check those out too. Yeah. All right. Um, so before we move on, I'm going to mention the second sponsor that we have for this episode, and that is Mr. Tender's Girl by Carter Wilson. Alice Hill was only 14 when she viciously stabbed when she was viciously stabbed by two of her classmates and left to die, uh, her friends told authorities that Alice was supposed to be a sacrifice for a man called Mr. Tender, but that's insane. Mr. Tender isn't even real. He's just a sinister character in a series of popular graphic novels, isn't he? 
Over a decade later, Alice is trying to move on, but someone is watching her. They know more about Alice than any stranger could. Her scars, her fears, and the secrets she keeps locked away. She can try to escape her past, but the threat of Mr. Tender is never far behind. Um, now, if you were listening to that and you're like, hey, that sounds kind of familiar, um, it's probably because this book was inspired by the Slenderman crimes, which is a real-life crime that happened in Wisconsin where these young girls... Um, murdered their friend as a sacrifice to this slender man thing. I, they, I was going to say, interrupting really quick, they stabbed her. That She did, was not murdered. Oh, she sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's inspired by that. Um, and so this is obviously a fiction book that um, sort of plunges you into the world of these sort of haunting memories, unseen threats, and leaves you guessing until the very end. Um, this book has received praise from a number of authors, including Megan Miranda and Ella Eskins, and fans on Goodreads are calling it Carter Wilson's best book yet. Um, and Carter also says that she was highly influenced by Alfred Hitchcock, um, the combination of an unreliable narrator, haunting memories, and these threats make for a must read for fans of the edgy suspense books. Um, so if you are looking for a unique psychological thriller, um, this is also perfect for fans of Karen Slaughter, Ruth Ware, and Fiona Barton. Um, or if you were just interested or intrigued by the Slenderman case and would be interested in a book that sort of, uh, fictionalizes that a little bit and looks at the aftermath of the events, um, then you can check out Mr. Tender's Girl by Carter Wilson. Yeah, I've I've had an arc of that book for, God, almost a year now, and I still haven't <laughs> read it yet. So, uh, I'll... The struggle, I'll, of, the struggle yeah. of our TBRs is real. Yes, is very real. And with segueing into our next segment, um, I'm going to go over, talk about some of the new releases coming out, so your TBRs are going to get bigger. Mine, mine are crying after, after this episode when I was going through and researching these. Um, so I found, uh, I found a bunch of titles that I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go through some of these kind of quickly. Um, first one that I wanted to talk about that, um, has already been released. It's Chicago by David Mamey. And pretty much all you need to know about it is it's a historical mob thriller set in 1920 Chicago, which I think is awesome. <laughs> Um, just particularly being from the Chicago area. Um, but if the name David Mamey sounds familiar, um, he was the screenwriter for the movie The Untouchables, again, 1920 Chicago, and he is the Pulitzer-winning playwright of Glengarry Glen Ross. So this is this is a you know a big name, uh, big name author writing what seems to what should hopefully be a very a very big, complex thriller. Um, again, that is simply called Chicago by David Mamey, and that is already out. Um, another book that has been released this week is Bone Music by Christopher Rice, who I should have looked this up. I believe, is he the son of Anne Rice? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And I'm like, I'm not totally going off the rails on this. Um, but for this book, uh, the main character's name is Charlotte Rowe, and she spent the first seven years of her life in the hands of the only parents that she knew, a pair of serial killers who murdered her mother and tried to shape Charlotte in their own twisted image. 
but if only the nightmare had ended when she was rescued. Instead, her real father exploited her tabloid-ready story for fame and profit until Charlotte finally broke free from her father and fled. And then just when she thinks that she is away from all of this, she is swept up into an even to a frightening new ordeal where she is secretly dosed with an experimental drug and endowed with a shocking new power, but now she's being pursued by a corporation who really wants to control her. So this is this is what you call an un- an unlucky life, I think. <laughs> This is what you call a bad day. Um, but from now on, she is determined that if any boy, anybody is going to control her, she is going to be the one to control her. So she's determined to use this new ability that she has to fight the evil that shattered her life by drawing a serial killer out from the shadows to face the righteous fury of a victim-turned-avenger. So... To me, this this feels like you've got your serial killer story, but you've also got a little sci-fi supernatural uh, element in there. Kind of um, whenever I think of someone with a new power that someone someone's out to control them, I'm thinking of like Firestarter by Stephen King or Stranger Things. Um, so this book sounds like it's got a lot of stuff going on, and it sounds really unique. Um, and again, that is Bone Music by Christopher Rice. That is already out. Um, and then for a couple of books that are going to be coming out on March 6th, um, there is Agatha Christie, A Mysterious Life by Laura Thompson, um, which is as the title implies, a biography of Agatha Christie. Um, But the thing about Agatha Christie's life is that she is almost as mysterious as the books that she wrote. So Thompson really delves into the world that Christie grew up in, explores her relationships, and investigates a lot of these mysteries that still surround that still surround Agatha Christie, most notably her 11-day disappearance back in 1926. Um, the book is described as, or they describe the book as writing about Agatha Christie as a detection job in and of itself. Um, but the author had access to all of her letters and papers and notebooks and interviews with a, with uh, Christie's surviving relatives. And she is able to unravel not only the detailed workings of Agatha Christie's detective fiction, but the truth behind this mysterious woman. So if you are a if you're an Agatha Christie fan and just, you know, want to know more about the, you know, the basically the the fairy, the fairy godmother of mystery fiction, it feels like um, you should definitely pick up Agatha Christie, A Mysterious Life by Laura Thompson. And then finally, we come to uh, the last book, which I I read this description and I just went, oh my god, I have to add this to my list immediately. Um, that is The Hunger by Alma Katsu. And it talks about one of America's most fascinating and very grim historical moments, which which is the Donner Party. Um, most people know, but in case in case you don't, the Donner Party was um, they were a covered wagon group moving west, and they uh, and they got caught in the in the Sierras, I think, or somewhere somewhere in Nevada, out west. But they got caught in the mountains during winter. And they were basically stuck there, running low on food and supplies, and driven driven to basically the brink of extinction. And they had to resort to cannibalism to keep surviving. And unfortunately, no one did. Um, so the hunger by Alma Katz, who takes this 
this very, you know, this very grim real moment in American history, but gives it a supernatural twist. Um, so when the, so in the story, you find the Donner Party, they have been, they are being driven to the point of madness with their depleted rations and quarrels and the mysterious death of, of one of the young boys that's accompanying them. And even though they are all dreaming of ultimately reaching the West and all of the promises that that, that that brings, long buried secrets begin to emerge and the descent among the travelers escalates to the point of murder and chaos. They cannot seem to escape tragedy or the feelings that someone or something is stalking them. Whether it's a it's a curse from uh, one of the from one of the uh, women with the party who some think might be a witch, their ill ill advised choice of route through the mountains, or just plain bad luck. Ninety men, women, and children of the Downer Party are heading into one of the deadliest and most disastrous Western adventures in American history. And as the members of the group begin to disappear, the survivors start to wonder if there is some there really is something disturbing and hungry waiting for them in the mountains, and what. Whether the evil that has unfolded around them may have, in fact, been growing within them all along. Holy cow, I had no idea about this book. And then when I read that description, I went, I need a copy of this yesterday. Um, and I was, as soon as I read this, I went, wait a minute. I think up in our break room at work are any uh, advanced copies of books that some of our some of the librarians get that they don't want. They put them up there for people to take. And I said, wait a minute. I remember seeing this book. I get up there. It's gone. I was so mad. <laughs> oh, no. So I was like, oh, I've got to figure out a better way to get this book. Um, but again, that is The Hunger by Alma Katsu. That's going to be out March 6th. And a really quick final last one. We have talked about this book multiple times on the show, um, but already out this week is I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, um, who, again, was the wife of Patton Oswald, researching a serial killer and a serial rapist in California, I believe. Um, but she tragically died before the book was able to be uh, completely finished. So this is a you know this is a really interesting book that looks at the true crime aspect of the story that she's following. It has lots of uh, memoir and personal stories and her personal influence in it as well, and just takes on this even more tragic overtone when you when you know what happened to her. Um, so that is already out, and then and that one has been getting so much has been getting so much praise so um definitely look out for i'll be gone in the dark by michelle mcnamara as well all right uh to wrap things up we can go into what we've been reading recently and what we'll be starting um so i recently finished a dangerous crossing by asma zayana khan this one came out earlier in february and it's the fourth book in the Essek attack and rachel getty mystery series basically um asma zayana khan uh, writes these stories or writes this mystery series that basically uses the mystery lens to look at sort of like broader world topics. Um, so in the first one, the people who were um, dealing with 
the mystery or the people that uh, Eskatak and Rachel Getty were helping were survivors from the Bosnian War, I believe. Um, and then in the second book, they deal with Muslim terrorists. And then in the third book, he travels to Iran. And then in this book, um, it's mainly dealing with the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, so this one is actually probably my favorite in the series so far. I'm not going to talk too much about it in terms of like overall plot and things like that. But basically, um, one of Eskatak's friends sister goes missing while she's working for an NGO in Europe, um, in Greece, specifically helping Syrian refugees. And so they travel to Europe uh, to sort of figure out what happened. She goes missing. I believe an Interpol agent is dead and a young boy is dead. Um, So Interpol is on the case as well. And they're sort of looking into the missing uh, friend who they think might actually be a suspect in the murder. Obviously, these guys don't think that she's a suspect. They think something has happened to her and they're trying to figure it all out. Um, but yeah, this was really, really well done. I'm not sure if I loved it so much just because like, I'm really interested in learning more about the Syrian refugee crisis. And I really like how Asma Khan sort of includes a lot of information um, about the topics that she's covering. She doesn't assume that you know everything, but she also doesn't assume that you're like a complete idiot or like completely dense either about the situation um so but she talks very like openly and honestly about like what the situation's like for these refugees especially once they're in europe what they actually have to face to get there um just sort of the bleak conditions of these refugee camps and things like that um but the mystery itself is still also really really interesting and really good um the one I guess sort of warning I'll give with this book or the one complaint that I've seen other people say about this book is that Esakatak is this like Pakistani man and in the stories he's like a very attractive person and they talk about how attractive he is a lot and a lot of people I know that really bothers them um like they're constantly talking about how like different people or like the different women that he encounters are always like very taken aback by his like good looks um which personally i just find it to be kind of funny um or just like amusing little anecdote thing that's thrown in but i know a lot of people get bothered by that so i guess fair warning for that if you haven't read the series yet um but if you have read the series so far and i personally i found i like the second and third book but i felt like they dropped off a little bit um but i feel like the fourth one is just as strong as the first one so if you've read the series before and you're wondering about whether or not to pick up this one i definitely recommend it um if you haven't read any of the books in the series i would say start with the first one because while there aren't necessarily like spoilers in this book for the previous books they do reference a lot the mysteries and things that have happened in previous books and they do like build on in relationships and um, characters and things like that so I think it is best if you read these books in the order um, that they're published and don't just like you can jump in right in the middle but I wouldn't recommend it um, so again that's A Dangerous Crossing by Asma Zeyanak Khan And then in terms of what I'm going to be starting, I'm not really sure at the moment. Um, I might read Strangers on a Train by Patricia Highsmith. Um, I'm doing the Read Harder Challenge. And so one of the tasks is to read a classic uh, genre book. And so I was looking to see if there were any sort of like classic genre books that I haven't read yet. If I had completed the Raymond Chandler book, I probably could have used that one, but I didn't. Um, So I was looking and obviously I've read like the Sherlock Holmes and the Agatha Christie's and things like that. Um, So I came across uh, Strangers on a Train, which was the 
uh, inspiration behind the Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, and I've never read the book or seen the movie, but I figured that this might be an interesting one. It still like gets pretty good reviews and things like that from people. So I thought I might give it a try. Otherwise, I have like, you know, 40 other books sitting in my TBR. So I'll pick something up between now and the next episode. <laughs> All right. Um, for me, um, besides Dragonfish, which I already mentioned, um, one of the books which is really not a mystery, but it was nominated for an Edgar Award, so that means I get to talk about it on this show. Um, that is Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Um, he, If you're not familiar with Jason Reynolds, he is an amazing YA author. Um, he writes these really, um, these these contemporary um, the, these contemporary stories with a lot of social commentary about um, police brutality and racism and poverty. And he just writes these amazing, hard-hitting, memorable YA novels. And his latest book, um, which came out last year, is called Long Way Down. Um, it's written entirely in verse, um, in free verse. And I um, I actually listened to this book Um so it in a way it it didn't seem like verse but it had the the writing and Jason Reynolds also narrates the audiobook and I could just listen to him all day. He has a beautiful narrating voice that really captures the um the the rhythm and the lyrical quality of the writing and really brings home the really brings home the emotional impact of the story um but the main the main story uh main character's name is Will he's 15 and at the very beginning of the book his brother is shot and killed in a drive-by shooting and uh Will um he in his neighborhood in his community there are there are three rules. There's no crying, no snitching, and always get revenge. So if someone kills a member of, kills a friend or a family member, you need to, you need to seek revenge on their, on their behalf. It's this, it's this really horrible cycle of violence that just keeps, that just keeps perpetuating itself. So in the book, Will decides he, he, even though he did not see who did the actual shooting he knows deep down who shot and killed his brother so in the book he he uh he uses his brother's gun and he gets on the elevator for his apartment building and he he starts on the seventh floor and each as as he goes down to each floor there's another person that steps on except it's not the these are actually ghosts from his past from his brother's past um these are these are ghosts who have been caught up in the same cycle of violence and each one tells a little bit more of the story that will thinks he knows about his family about his brother about himself about who he thinks actually killed his brother it the only reason I can think of that this was nominated for an Edgar Award is because it involves a crime, a shooting. But the the mystery is not the heart of the book. The mystery is the storytelling and the emotional impact of this of this type of community violence and the lyrical quality of the writing. And it is just beautiful. Um, it's a super fast read, a super fast listen. It's only like two discs long. It's less than two hours long, I think. Um, this, this 
book was amazing. Um, I this is this is a book. I mean, young young adult fiction is not just for young adults. I mean that. I think that that's been for the most part we that's been pretty well established. But this is a book that I would hand out to anyone who is looking for you know for a contemporary story, something like the hate you give, just something with with a real focus on the the rhythm and the and the and the poetic quality of Jason Reynolds' writing. It's just bonkers good. Um, so again, that's Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. And then in terms of what I'm going to start, other than <laughs> The Hunger, which, like I said, was a last-minute addition to, oh my god, I've got to read this now, um, in kind of a similar fashion, if you take a fictionalized account of a real-life um, American tragedy or American crime, um, I think I'm going to read See What I Have Done by Sarah Schmidt, which is a fictionalized, um, it's, it's like part historical fiction, part suspense, part horror. Um, it's a fictionalized account of the Lizzie Borden murders, um, which is pretty much all I need to know about the book. Also, in a couple of weeks, um, my uh, a couple of my uh, college friends and I are going to be spending St. Patrick's Day weekend out in Providence, which is a very short drive from Fall River, which is where the Lizzie Borden house is located. And my one of my friends and I, we are... Let's just say we've been planning a trip out to the Lizzie Borden house for a while. <laughs> and now that we're actually going to be out in the area for a weekend, we just went, oh my gosh, we have got to go there. So I think I think in the spirit of that, so to speak, um, I'm going to try and read, uh, see what I have done before we uh, actually go out, go out east. <laughs> I really like that. I, I, I'm just amused by the fact that you've been planning a trip to the Lizzie Borden house. <laughs> Oh, not, and honestly, our initial grand plan, which might still happen, and I'm not entirely sure, but we have also said, because this is, you'll understand why my friend and I became friends, we uh, we said, we need to do a cross-country road trip starting at the Lizzie Borden house out east and going all the way west to the Winchester Mystery House in California, stopping <laughs> at... Uh, either true crime spots or haunted places along the way across the country, which, like I said, might still happen, but we are at least fulfilling a tiny, hopefully going to fulfill a tiny bit of that um, in a couple weeks. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> All right. And on that note, uh, that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have links to all of the different books uh, that we've talked about in this episode, as well as to the news article about the uh, Making a Murderer-related TV show. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, so that way other people can uh, find us and check us out. If you want to send us a comment or like send us an email, you can email us at redordead at bookriot.com. Um, we take a look at the suggestions and whatnot that have been coming through there, and we definitely have plans in the future future for some episodes again just like this one was suggested by someone else we have other suggestions coming in as well um, so feel free to email us over there if you want um, otherwise you can find us on social media you can find me on twitter and and instagram at rincey a and i am on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks bye bye, bye.